Would you pray with me? Hark the herald angels sing. That's the company of heaven that surrounds the throne of the Holy One, our Son, our Savior, your Son, Father, Jesus Christ. Hark, they say, means listen. And so now we pray that your Holy Spirit would come and animate the reading and hearing of your word so that we might have a personal encounter with the living word, Jesus Christ. Let us listen. Let us meet him. Let us open our lives to him and be born in him. We pray in Christ's name, amen. When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son born of a woman. Isn't that what we celebrate this time of year? A miraculous birth. These are the words of St. Paul to a little church in Galatia. He said, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son born of a woman. Miraculous birth. Paul will go on in that letter to the Galatians and say, and speak to them as though he were himself a mother. He says this, uh, almost implying another miraculous birth. I am in the pain of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So two miraculous births, one in history and another in us. This is what we mean when we sing that familiar line from the Christmas carol, be born in us today. We ask God for a new birth and we ask God for a a new birth that shapes our lives. This is the meaning of Christmas. It's It's what it means. Let's learn a little bit more about that this morning as we read from that letter that Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. Would you open up your Bibles, please, with me to Galatians chapter 4, verses 19 through 26. That's on page 947 of the Pew Bible. And uh, wherever you are, if you're able, uh, would you stand with me? Let's read God's word aloud together. Galatians chapter 4, verses 19 through 26. When we're done reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading God's holy word. My little children, for whom I am again in the pain of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I were present with you now and could change my tone, for I'm perplexed about you. Tell me, you who desire to be subject to the law, will you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and the other by a free woman. One, the child of the slave, was born according to the flesh. The other, the child of the free woman, was born through the promise. Now this is an allegory. These women are two covenants. One woman, in fact, is Hagar from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the other woman corresponds to the Jerusalem above. She is free and she is our mother. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what we just read never will. Please be seated. Let's think together about this text. Let's think about the problem in the text the invitation in the text, and the assurance of the text. First, let's begin with the problem in the text. Let me put it this way. You can get developmentally stuck 
in your Christian growth. You can. Notice in verse 19, the word again. That's the word you want to pay attention to at first, again. I am again in the pain of childbirth. It means something's stuck. We're back here again. Uh, We've been here before. Uh, We've done this before. And I thought we were beyond this, but no, Paul says, we are back here again. Something's stuck. Now, you and I can get stuck in our understanding of the faith. I've said before that I meet so many people as a pastor who grew up in Sunday school and and they also were in regular school and they were in both kind of through the years. And at some point they dropped out of Sunday school, maybe in eighth grade or 12th grade, but they continue on in their regular school. Years later, they find that they're asking graduate level questions about life and all they have are eighth grade Sunday school answers. And of course, it's not satisfying. This church, we have a lot of people who are very thoughtful and you all are readers, I know. And so I oftentimes have to say to people, if God has given you a good mind, then you really have to use it. You have to love God with your whole mind, which means you've got to grow and keep growing in your understanding of Jesus, the Bible, theology. Yeah, we can get stuck in our understanding. But I don't think that's what's going on here. In Galatia, they seem to be stuck in formation. It's a different kind of stuck. And this seems to be what Paul's talking about when he says the word formed. They they seem to have a formation problem. Their formation seems to be stuck. That's the word Paul uses, formed. He, He says, I'm again in the pain of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. This is kind of a curious way of speaking. And Paul is thinking of himself or imagining himself as a woman, as a mother. And he's imagining the believers in Galatia as though they were infants in utero, as though they were being literally formed physically in a mother's Womb. And, and Paul says, I, I am in the pain of childbirth right now. I'm pushing and I'm pushing and I'm pushing through some kind of cosmic birth canal. And I actually think Paul implies that the metaphor continues beyond birth. You know, you know a human is formed in the womb, but then we are, are meant to continue to be formed. We move from the form of an infant to the form of a child and from the form of a child to the form of an adolescent, from the form of an adolescent to the form of a, a, a fully mature adult. And Paul says, I'm pushing and pushing and pushing until you are formed like Christ, until we can see the shape of Christ in you. See what he's saying. The problem here is Christians who don't look like Christ. People who were born of Christ, but who don't live like Christ. People who have the name of Christ, but not the nature of Christ. People who say, our father, but who don't bear a family resemblance to the son. People who began well, but somewhere along the way, they got developmentally stuck. We say, I understand the birth, but you say, where's the growth? Where's the maturity? Where's the transformation? Which is central to our mission here at UPC. So if I had to say to you this, let me try this. Born again Christians who don't look anything like Jesus. Does anything come to mind? 
Well, for me it does, because I think it's what uh, passes for Christianity so often in America these days. People who say we're born again Christians, but we don't look anything like Jesus. And if I'm to be very honest with you, sometimes I recognize that even in myself. See, this is a real problem. You can get developmentally stuck in your Christian growth. But, but here's the good news. Paul says, you don't have to stay stuck. That's why he's writing this letter to the Galatians. He's saying, you know what? You have an option. You can grow. You can be formed. That's why I'm pushing. So that's the problem. But now here's the invitation that Paul's giving his readers. And here's how I would say it. You can choose the family that forms you. You can actually choose the family that forms you. Notice there are two families here. Look at verse 22. Abram had two sons, one by a slave woman, the other by a free woman. Right? Do you hear that? Abraham has two sons, uh, two families. We have the family of Hagar, she was a slave, and the family of Sarah, she was his wife. She was the one to whom God promised a, a miraculous birth, even though they were infertile, Abraham and Sarah, and they were extremely old. This is, this is a different kind of family, two families Side by side, Paul says, now this is, he's appealing to their Sunday school knowledge. You can read more about these two families in Genesis 16 through 21. But you wanna ask yourself at this point, why is Paul talking about two families? Well, that's not because they're literal families. He, he's turning history into an allegory. He's saying, let me use these two historical families as kind of an example for the dynamics that I see happening here in Galatia, and so you could think of Paul as a OBGYN at this point, and he's kind of walking into the delivery room and he's saying, hey, there's clearly a complication here. I don't know if it's actually a delivery room, probably in those days it's like a stone cottage of some kind, right? But he walks in there, and what he's saying essentially to what's going on in Galatia is this, and if you read the letter, you know this is the theme, that there's a group of people in Galatia who are saying, you know what, faith in Jesus isn't quite enough. You've got to take up the whole Jewish law. It's a kind of a complication that Paul says, this whole delivery process. And he brings with it a diagnosis. He says, you're being formed by the wrong family. You catch that? You, you, the problem here is you're being formed by the wrong family. There really are two families, there are two cultures, and either one of them can be shaping your life. And, and in Galatia, they're being shaped by the wrong family. Now again, speaking metaphorically or allegorically, as, as Paul says in the text, these are very different families. One is a family of a physical birth, Hagar. The other is physical and spiritual birth, Sarah. Hagar is a family of slavery. Sarah is a family of freedom. Hagar is a family of law and works. Sarah is a family of grace and promise. If we're formed in the family of Hagar, we're formed by the ways of the world. If we're formed in the family of Sarah, we're formed by the ways of God. In Hagar, you're formed by fear. In Sarah, you're formed by love. Now this is not just about understanding. You, you can catch this, this is about formation. It's about literally your identity, your values, your expectations of life, your behavior. Um, this is sort of massively sweeping. This would change the way you would live your life, depending on which family you, you, you're formed by. And so if you visit Galatia, this is not just academic. What you're gonna see is, if you visit these people around the table, boasting, divisions, immorality, and the letter's clear, what's going on there. The deliverances of the family in which these people have chosen to be formed. If you're, chosen in, if you're being formed in Hagar, you're basically stuck in the old you. 
But if you choose to be formed in the family of Sarah, you're growing into the new you. He's talking about a group of people that have Jesus, the whole set, but they're not being formed, all of them, by the family of Jesus. They're being formed by the family of Hagar. That's his point. I know it's a little bit complicated, but here's what I want to take away from that at the moment is you can choose your family. You, can, you can't, they say you can't choose your family, but I'm saying you can. You can choose the family that forms you anyways. And this is especially true if you've experienced the new birth. Do you know that the moment we say yes to Jesus and put our faith in Jesus, the Bible promises us that we're born, that the Holy Spirit gives us a new birth. And with that, we have a new identity. Now our identity is no longer drawn from our biological family and the bloodline. Our identity is formed by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. We have a new father. We say to our father, as Mary said, uh, at the instruction of Jesus, my father, our father. And we have a whole new family of sisters and brothers that join us on this adventure with Jesus. Now we're in a new family. And the question for us is the same question that Paul had for them. Which family is going to form you? Pete Scazzaro says, Jesus may live in your heart, but grandpa lives in your bones. Think about that. I love that line. That's a quote from a book called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. Jesus may live in your heart, but grandpa lives in your bones. What he means by that is, yeah, you may be a Christian, but that doesn't mean just because you have faith in Jesus that your life has been formed by the family of Jesus. Your life may be more formed and continue to be more formed by your family of origin than by this new family altogether. Uh, grandpa may be the one forming you. And, and you know, as the Bible talks about the sins of the father being passed on to the sins of the child. Uh, a family cannot give what they have not received. And so grandpa has a long shadow in all of our lives for good and for bad. Let me tell you what this looks like for me. I'm taking a course I've mentioned to you before called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. I've been in it all year. Jennifer Kenny, our executive director of operations, she's doing it together with me. And we've had the privilege of joining this multi-ethnic global cohort of leaders, churches around the world. It's been very interesting to go through with the, the guy who wrote these books, Pete Scazzaro. But it's also been extremely challenging, personally. I've been forced to ask myself, where am I formed? More by my family of origin than by the family of Jesus. I'm, I'm becoming more aware. And here's an example uh, that's uncomfortable for me. Honesty. I'm realizing I don't always tell the truth. This is a shocker. <laughs> Here we are in church. Sometimes I say what I think people want to hear. That is true for me. And, I did, I'm, and it's what's surprising is I grew up in a really good family, a very healthy family. And actually, honesty was like a supreme value for us. I was taught very well to be an honest person. But what I notice is... Uh, that sometimes I say what I think you want, you want to hear. And I do that at home and I do that here at work and I do that even sometimes here at church. Like for example, if a colleague of mine does something that's disappointing to me, when I'm with them, for some reason, I try really hard just to be positive. And I have a hard time accessing words around my disappointment. So I just want to encourage them and I respect them. So I want to say something like, oh, that, you did a really good job. In the back of my mind, I'm going, I don't think I'm actually telling the whole truth. 
Everything I'm saying is true, but there's something I'm not saying that is the truth, a dishonesty. And so I've had to ask this, well, where does this come from? Well, I had an insight just a couple of weeks ago. I realized when I was a boy, my family told a story constantly. It was the George Washington cherry tree story. Did anybody ha- hear that story growing up? Some of you did, but some of you didn't. I'm seeing some hands are not. So I realized, I talked with my dad about this last night. He goes, everybody told that story, George. I go, no, it's not true. I've done a little poll. Not everybody knows the George Washington cherry tree story. And not everybody tells it as much. In our family, it was like we were constantly told this story. And the story goes like this. George Washington for Christmas or birthday or something gets a new ax and then that he goes out and of course he wants to use it and he chops down his dad's favorite cherry tree and his dad asks him about it. George, what happened to my favorite cherry tree? And he says, you can say it with me, right? Father, I cannot tell a lie. I chopped down the cherry tree. It's a very warm father-son moment in our history, but it didn't actually happen. I don't know if it happened. The point is, in my family of origin, that story was supreme. But here's the recent insight. I I thought, what's the context for that story? It's who did something wrong? It's assigning blame. It's who disappointed father? Who made father angry? Now, I know this is not what my parents intended with this story, but this is what the story came to mean to me. Blame, disappointment, shame. There you go again, doing something you shouldn't do. And if that's what truth-telling is like, if that's what honesty is about, then of course it's hard for me to be honest. It's too dangerous. It's too risky. Now, here's what I know, and you probably know this too. In God's family, truth is not for that purpose. It's not to assign blame. It's not for condemnation. It's not for judgment. It's not about criticism. No, truth is to reveal the presence of Jesus Christ. That's what truth is for. Truth, grace and truth, John tells us about Jesus. Truth that builds up or edifies, not that tears down. Truth that heals. Truth, as Jesus says, that sets us free. This is the purpose of truth. So for 50 years, I've got Jesus in my heart, but grandpa in my bones. I've been formed by an unspoken rule that it's unsafe to tell the truth. See what I mean? So what do I do? Well, I have to choose the family that forms me. I've been formed in the family of Hagar, but it's time to be formed by the family of Sarah. It's time to go all the way back to again that place where I was stuck. And it's time to do the hard work of formation. And it is hard. It's the pain of childbirth, Paul says. It's time to work through a process of transformation and maturation until Christ is formed in me around honesty. See, what I'm, I want to suggest today is part of uh, choosing the family that will form you is naming the rules in your family of origin. Pete Scazzaro has a list. He says, we all grow up with what he calls unbiblical family commandments. Things like it's not okay to express certain emotions or you exist to make everyone happy or failure is not an option. These kinds of rules that may be spoken, they may not be spoken, but every family has them. So I want you to think about what rules were there in your family of origin. And to help with that, Pete Scazzaro gives us 10 commandments or 10 areas. And you can just ask yourself, in these 10, every family has rules about these 10 areas. What sorts of rules did your family have about money, about conflict, about sex, about grief and loss, about expressing anger, about family itself, 
about relationships, about attitudes towards other cultures, about success, about feelings and emotions. Take a picture of, of this, if you like, or go back and watch the video and, and pick them up later and just go through each of those areas and ask, what were the rules in my family? What you wanna do is you wanna name them in order to tame them, right? Jesus did that, what's your name? Because there's something about knowing that being able to name them in order to tame them. And then you wanna claim the promise of Jesus in that area. You wanna claim the good news of the gospel, the new norm in God's family. By the way, this is why family is such a central motif for us here at UPC. Theologian Ray Anderson says, family is the Bible's dominant metaphor for the church. And it's in our mission statement. Remember our mission statement. We're a family of communities joining Jesus to transform our lives and the lives of our neighbors. We're a family, first and foremost. It's also one of our five values. We talk here about living as family. It's also how our strategy happens. We call it formational community. It's how the formation part of formational community happens. Family. It's what drives transformation. Discipleship is really a process of putting off old sinful patterns, the pat sinful patterns of my family or of the culture, and putting on new kingdom patterns, being clothed in Christ, breaking the rules of Hagar so that I can live with the promise of Jesus and Sarah. And by the way, this is what we do when we gather. I just make you aware of it, but you're already doing it, whether we're gathering in neighborhood groups or Sunday celebration. We're helping each other grow into this new family. We're essentially reparenting one another. Whatever age we're at, we're reparenting one another in the family of God, in the ways of Jesus, so that we could be formed and more and more take on the image of Christ and live like him and love like him and look like him to the world around us. By the way, this is how we uh, work to embody global culture. It's one of our five values also, global culture. Because as you know, in every family, in every culture, and in every nation, there's something to be appreciated, but there's also something broken, isn't there? And when we come to Jesus, we, we sometimes his light shines on our darkness, and we see some of the brokenness in our family of origin or culture of origin or nation of origin. Now, New Life Fellowship, Pete Scazzaro's church in Queens, New York, which he founded from the very beginning, was a multi-ethnic, a multicultural congregation. And this, this insight about family of origin helped them because they would say when they get together and they start acting in certain ways, you know what, we don't do your family of origin here. <laughs> we, don't, we don't do that here. Here we're doing the family of Jesus. I know it's, it's more comfortable to do your family of origin, but when we come together, we're trying to be the family of God. So the way you do things in your family, your culture, or nation are not the way we do things here. Here we're all learning the Jesus way. So what I'm saying here is that there's a new birth and it follows from a new birth, there's a new family and it follows from a new family that there's a new formation. And you can choose the family that forms you. So that's the problem and the invitation. Finally, here's the assurance of the text. And it is good news for all of us. God God's promise breaks the power of our past. God's, there should be an amen on that. God's promise breaks the power of our past. Isn't this what Advent is all about? That the long, dark shadow of human history, one night above that shadow, in, in that shadow, there is a star that shines. And beneath that star, there's a new family. There's a holy family. And within that holy family, there's a new birth. 
Listen again to what St. Paul says. This is where we begin. He writes in Galatians 4, verses 4 through 6. You can turn there if you want. When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law. So that we, speaking of all of us, might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Here's the new birth, crying, Abba, Father, that's you, that's me. That's where we live now because of Advent, because of Christmas and Jesus. God's got you right there, Abba, Father. Living in this eternal family. You know, God is a family. We are sitting before the Father in Christ the Son, through God the Spirit. And to experience that location in time and space and the fullness of its mystery is to pray, be born in us today. And this is the good news of the gospel. Your family of origin doesn't have to determine the shape and outcome of your life. It's God's promise that broke the power of Sarah's skepticism. Remember in the story where she laughs and there's a promise and she goes, that's really funny. I really relate to Sarah. It's God's promise that broke the power of Jacob's favoritism. Remember that intergenerational sin that gets passed down. And, and the promise that breaks the, promi- uh, the, the power of Moses' murderous temple, temper, raised as he was in the Pharaoh's courtyard. It's God's promise that broke the power of Rahab's desperate prostitution and David's adulterous sense of entitlement. It's God's promise that broke the power of Joseph's fear and Mary's loneliness. It's God's promise in the fullness of time that brought to you and me a son to redeem us. That's the good news. God's promise breaks the power of our past. So I know I gotta go here soon, but the invitation this week is to break the rules. Not not God's rules, but to break the rules of your family of origin. Not talking to my children here. I'm talking to the rest of you. (laughs) Break the rules of your broken family of origin, of your broken culture. Now, so specifically, I'd like to invite you to to try to identify two spoken or unspoken rules from your family of origin. Find two unbiblical rules from your family of origin and try to find a biblical promise that pairs with that. It'd be good to share this with someone. I don't know, it'd be a sibling maybe or someone in your small group or one of us here in your church family. Find two Uh, unbiblical rules from your family of origin. Write them down and begin to meditate on them, but put beside them a promise. If you need help, email me. First thing you need to do though, is to say yes to Jesus. This whole thing begins with the new birth. That's how you get into the new family that gives you a healthy alternative. So say yes to Jesus. And I would say like Paul said to the Galatians, let us help. Uh, you can come to upc.org slash Jesus and engage with us there. You can come down after the service and members of our prayer team would be happy to help you uh, express faith in Jesus and say yes to him and experience the new birth. Uh, but don't miss that step. But for many of us, we've, we've experienced the new birth. Many of us raised our hands in the weeks that preceded. Now what we need to do is we need to say yes again. We need to go back to where we got stuck and start growing again. And if that's you, I encourage you to pray with someone about that, about these two areas of your life and past and getting the power of the Holy Spirit to break them. Let me close with a thought experiment. I would just invite you for a moment to to imagine something. And if you feel safe closing your eyes, don't do it if you're driving. Uh, Just close your eyes and imagine that you're crossing a river. 
see yourself on the bank of a rushing river. You have to get across the other side, but there's no bridge. You look up and down, there's no bridge. What are you gonna do? Well, you, you look into the water and just as you look, you see a large stone placed one step in front of you. It turns out it's Jesus who's placed a stone right in front of you. And you take a step onto that stone and there you are moving out into the stream. And one step at a time, Jesus is putting another large stone in front of you until soon you find yourself midstream. It's a wide stream. It's wider than you thought when you set out. It, the water is moving faster than you thought when you set out. It, it's deeper than you thought when you set out. But there you are standing on a stone and you look for that next stone and you can't see it. There's no next stone. And you panic. What am I going to do now? In the midst of that, you find yourself turning back to the bank that you left behind and you see where the stones have been coming from. There on the bank is the little stone cottage where you grew up. It's the stone cottage that you've lived in your whole life. And it turns out that Jesus has been taking one stone at a time from that cottage and placing them in front of you so that you can cross this river to a new future. Now, as you stand there and you see that, you ask yourself, do I believe more in the power of my past or the promise of his future? And as you stand there, you ask yourself, will I go forward in his love or backward in my fear? And then as you stretch out your foot over the boiling stream. Look, there's another stone. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what a beautiful mystery it is. What deep love and joy it brings to our hearts to know that we get invited into eternal communion with you. It is for that that you sent your son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those of us who are lawbreakers. And in that grace, we luxuriate today. And we thank you. This is why we gather for a great celebration to say thank you, Jesus. We pray that you'll give us insight into our families of origin and cultures of origin that we might more fully live into the new way of life, which is ours through the new birth. In Christ's name we pray, amen.